0: week we we talked about worship, and we were in Malachi chapter 1, and we're still kind of in Malachi here. This is the basis of of this message. I want to read a scripture to you out of the book of Luke before we go there. We're going to be in Malachi 1, but um, I want to read to you from the book of Luke. Now, I asked Caleb to do joy to the world again today, and I know it's the middle of summer and it's not Christmas time. Um, but we're going to talk about joy. We want to talk about the joy of our worship today. Last week, we talked about the value of our worship. And we saw in, in Malachi chapter 1 where um, the problem was, uh, this is Israel after they had rebuilt the, the second temple, uh, and they'd come back into the land, they, they'd they been uh, officiating in the temple, offering sacrifices in the temple, worshiping in the temple, but But we see that Malachi says to the people there that basically your worship has become worthless to me because you're not offering to me out of a right heart. And so you're bringing the blind and the lame and the stolen and you have defiled, you've defiled me. You've defiled the the, the table. And so today, I want to talk about the joy of our worship. And what had happened with Israel, or Judah, was that they had become weary. This is what God says to them. And they had lost their joy. There was no joy in what they were doing. It was strictly out of obligation. And I want to read to you uh, the declaration of the angel to the shepherds uh, that we normally read at Christmas time. But I think it's appropriate for us. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. Good tidings of great joy. Church, we have a reason to have great joy. Now, we prayed for a number of people today. We prayed for their physical healing. But I want to ask you, is their joy dependent upon whether they are healed or not? The answer to that question is no, it is not. We trust, we believe that God is a healer. He is. But we also know God doesn't always choose to heal, does He? Don't be afraid to admit that. You're not God, and I'm not God. He's God. He's the one that determines these things. Now, do we need to have faith? Yeah, we need to have faith. This is why we pray. If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't pray for the sick, would we? If we didn't have faith, you wouldn't come up and get prayer, and we wouldn't pray over you. But we have faith that God is a healer. Though we know that God doesn't always choose to heal the way we would like for Him to heal and when He heals. And the joy that God wants us to have, to possess in our lives, to fill our lives, is not dependent upon whether I get healed or whether I have a big bank account or a little bank account or no bank account at all. It's not dependent upon those things. It's, our joy is not dependent upon the externals. The joy that God has given us is about the internal. And so this is the declaration of the, of the angels Joy has come. Why? Because Christ has come. And so, Malachi chapter 1, verse 13, here's what God says through the prophet to the people. He says, you also say, oh, what a weariness. This is what the people, oh, i got to go to the temple and take that sacrifice again. Or, man, I've got to get up in the morning and go to church. You know, business has really been down. I guess I better go. I haven't been in a while. Maybe if I go to church tomorrow, maybe God will do something for me. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the attitude we get sometimes, isn't it? Oh, I need something from God. I better go to church. Here's what God says to the people. He says, what you're really saying is, oh, this has become such a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen and the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? So we see here that the people have become bored with their worship of God. they become bored because they fail to see God's greatness. Remember, God says right here, He said to the people, In verse 11, he said, From the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations. And what had happened was the people of God, they lost sight of the greatness of God. And God and the worship of God had just become a weariness to them. It just became something they had to do, something they were obligated to do. And church, you know, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, has our worship become a weariness? Is it just something we feel obligated to do or I better do because I have a wrong concept of who God is. If I don't don't go a certain number of times a year, then God might. Do something or might not do something for me? Is that our concept, our attitude toward God? This was the attitude of Israel. It had become a weariness because they'd lost sight of the greatness of God. They failed to see his greatness because they had lost sight of him. This is not the focus. He is the focus. It doesn't revolve around this It all is about Him. It's not what's out here. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is what the people failed to see. They lost their vision. They became blind to this, and they could not see God any longer. And all they could see was their own self and the weariness that worship had become for them. And their problem is that their worship had become man or self-centered. Has our worship become man or self-centered? Is our worship about what songs we sing? If it is, then our worship is man-centered. Is it about who's here and who's not here? If it is, then it's man-centered. Is it about what we get, we get, us getting what we think we should get? If it is, it's man-centered. Now, here's the flip side of that. These are all legitimate things. You know, people came up here for prayer today because they had a real need in their life. They have sickness in their body. And, and this is why the Scripture tells us to Pray. To believe. This is why God gave us the Scripture, and he put certain things in the Scripture so that we could have a proper understanding. But we can't just stop at seeing those things. We've got to begin to see the bigger thing. So Paul saw the bigger thing when he said, I have learned to be content in all things, homeless or with a home, clothed or not clothed, well-fed or in famine, beaten or not beaten. His joy wasn't dependent upon those circumstances. His joy was dependent upon, and the source of that joy was Christ in him. And so here the people of God, they they got their eyes off God, they lost sight of the greatness of God, and and the worship became all about them. And so instead of bringing the best of the flock, well, I can make some money with that, so I'm going to bring the lame of the flock. After all, we're just going to kill it on an altar. God says, you've defiled my altar because you've lost sight of my greatness. Now, church isn't about faking it till we make it. You know, fake it till you make it. I mean, Christians are real good about faking it, right? I mean, we can come in here and put the mask on. We know the language. We know how to walk. We know how to talk. We know what to say to make everything look really good on the outside. But see, God really doesn't care about that. Because God sees beyond the outside, and he sees into our heart. See, when these guys brought their animals to the temple, no one knew they were stolen. They might not have even known that was a blind lamb. They might not even known it was lame. But God knew. So we can, we can, we can fool people all day long, but we can never fool God. You can even fool yourself if you choose to, but you won't fool God. So joy, the joy of our worship. And see, the problem here with the people of God in Malachi was they understood the obligation. They understood their obligation in worship. And we have an obligation. They they understood it to a point. They understood that they were obligated to bring sacrifice when certain things happened. But they didn't really understand what was the point of all of that. And so our obligation in worship, what is our obligation in worship? Well, I I tell you, I believe our obligation in worship ultimately is His glory. Because everything that we do, everything that we are, ultimately is about His glory. It really is. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what about those people that you prayed for today? The elders prayed over them. What if they don't get healed? That's not glorifying to God. Who are we to say what is and what is not? We're seeing a moment in time. God knows everything. This is why we were never meant to eat from that tree. Remember, we go back to the garden. We always have to go back to the garden. We ate from the wrong tree in the beginning, and ever since that time, we've been judging God and his motives. Saying, well, you know, that's not good. Well, that's evil. Who are we? I mean, the writers of Scripture said it much better. Jeremiah said it, and Paul said it. Who is the clay to say to the potter? Our obligation in worship is his glory. The people knew the obligation of worship, but they did not know the joy of worship. And our joy in worship begins in Him. Our joy in worship really, it can be affected by external things, but that's not where it begins. And even when all the externals are going against it, speaking against it, we still have to come to a place of finding our joy in Him. That's where it begins. Our joy in worship begins in Him, but it doesn't end in Him Because it is to be known in us. I mean, God really wants His joy to be known in us. That means He wants you to know His joy. And He wants the world that's watching you to know that there is joy in your life. And that joy ultimately comes from Him. Not because everything's right with the world. but because of Him. So the obligation to worship can lead us into the joy of worship, or it can rob us of that joy if we stop at simple obligation. Malachi spoke to a people that knew only obligation. And if we stop at the obligation to worship, we will never experience the joy of worship. If we stop at just the obligation of worship, you know what it will become to us? A weariness. And after a while, we'll begin to sneer at it. And after we get tired of sneering at it, we'll just stop worshiping altogether. And the point of worship is not our obligation to God. The point of worship here, it is His glory. This is the point of worship. It is His glory. We are here today for His glory. We are. We are here today as a witness To his glory. Us being here today is is sending a message. It is a witness, whether you realize it or not, it is a witness. This is one of the reasons why our corporate assembling together is so important, because it is a witness. And ultimately, that witness is not for us. That witness is for him. It's for his glory. Now, how does that equate to our joy, or does it? Can we find joy in His glory? Can we find joy in His glory? Absolutely we can. We must. This is what the Scripture declares. This is what Jesus declared in John 15. And so it absolutely does. His greatest glory is to be our greatest joy, and we should feel that joy. Joys can't just be some... It can't just be something that we talk about. It can't just be some idea out there because the Scripture talks about it. I'm telling you what, God wants you to feel His joy. He wants you to know and experience His joy. And so when when His glory is the greatest, that's when our joy should be the greatest. And we should feel that joy when we glorify Him in worship. Listen, today we are glorifying him in worship right now you are glorifying him in worship by the very reality that you are in this building and you're here because of him and so we glorify him in worship so the greater our joy the greater his glory but it's like a it's like a circle the greater the greater our joy, the greater His glory, and the greater His glory should equate to an even greater joy for us. So our joy, where is our joy? Our joy is in Him. So there is joy in worship. Amen? Didn't get a very good amen. So many people feel obligated to worship God, but they never feel the joy in worship. In fact, our joy in worship is to be beyond words that we can speak. How do we know that? Well, because Peter says, in 1 Peter 1: six through eight, let's just look at these scriptures. I put, um, I put the reference there in your message guide. Well, let's look what Peter says here. In First Peter chapter one, verse 6, Peter says, "In this you greatly rejoice." Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. What what is it? Now, to understand what he's talking about in verse 6, we need to look at verse 5. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, in what? In this power of God that we are kept by in our salvation through faith. In this you greatly rejoice. We are rejoicing what? In our salvation. We are rejoicing in who God is. We are rejoicing that by his power he has overcome everything and he has saved us and we are kept by that power that has saved us. He says, man, in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Oh, wait, I thought... As Christians, we weren't supposed to have any trials. Where did that come from? I mean, one of the promises Jesus clearly made to us was John 16, in this world you will have. He didn't say you might have. He didn't say if you got enough faith, you won't have. He said you will have tribulation. Paul said in Romans 5, hey, we don't just rejoice in the good things, but we also rejoice in the trial, in the tribulation, why? Are you crazy, Paul? No, I'm not crazy. Well, why are you rejoicing in the tribulation? Because I know what tribulation is producing in me. Now, before you be- get the martyr syndrome, you don't need to go out and look for tribulation, okay? If you guys notice that, it- it'll find you. So, you don't need to go looking for tribulation. It's in the world all around you. And if it hasn't found you yet, it will find you. And when it does, here's what the Scripture says, we can also rejoice in that tribulation. Why? Because the one who in his power saved me and is keeping me is causing that tribulation to work something greater in me. Greater than what? Greater than the tribulation. Greater than anything of this world. It is a more eternal weight of glory that God is working in us. And this is why Peter is saying here, he says, You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. He says, hey, you guys rejoice because your faith is being tested. And you know what? It will prove out to be genuine. Even more precious than gold it is. Gold that perishes. But the genuineness of your faith that's being tested may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. Peter had seen him. He said, you guys haven't seen him. But you love him. And you have faith in him. You haven't seen him physically, but you love him and you have faith in him. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you, look at this, verse 8, you rejoice how? With joy, inexpressible, unspeakable, And full of glory. Full of glory. The joy of worship. When we worship God in this joy that comes from Him, when we begin to understand this reality, this salvation, this Savior, there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that joy glorifies God. So, our joy is not in the music, though I love music. It's not in the movement, though I can't help but move when I hear music. I don't know why. Not that I can dance, because I can't. Unless it's a polka or a two step, I can do that. But I, I ain't got no rhythm, really, you know. But it's not in the music, it's not in the movement, it's not in the method, though those things are all enjoyable. In fact, it's not really in any of those things. Our joy is in Him, the unseen one whom we believe and whom we trust in, who is the object of our worship. Nehemiah 8, verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. The very temple that the people in Malachi's day, the very temple they were worshiping in and bringing their worthless worship to, was the very temple that Nehemiah helped oversee the rebuilding of. And during the rebuilding of that temple, Nehemiah says this, and they, they found, they discovered the law, and at the reading of the law, Israel began to mourn and weep, because they realized when the law was revealed to them again, They realized who they truly were, measured against God. And they began to weep and they began to be sorrowful. But Nehemiah says, do not mourn. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why? Because the mighty Lord we worship, He is our joy. He is our life. The joy of the Lord is our strength because the Lord is our strength. And He is our joy. Our joy is in Him. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Some people read that scripture and think, One day when I get to heaven, I'll have fullness of joy because I'll be in the presence of the Lord. Listen, honey, if you're in Christ, you're in the presence of the Lord right now. And you should have fullness of joy right now. Does that mean that, that there's not going to be a, a stripping away of all this corruption and a putting on of the incorruption? Yes, there will. And I'm telling you what, it, it will be a difference. There will be a difference. But I'm telling you what, what God, what we may be able to experience and discern having all of this corruption stripped away We may discern the reality in a greater way, in a greater capacity, but the reality of what God has done is not going to be any greater in that day than it is right now in this day. In other words, you're not going to be any more saved when you get to heaven one day than you are saved right now. You're not going to get any more of Jesus in that day than you have right now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You will no doubt perceive it, see it, Comprehend it in a different way because you won't have the limitation of this sinful flesh and this sinful world around you, but the reality of what God has done for you will not be any greater than than it is right now. So we have reason to rejoice when? Right now. When we come into this tin building to worship God, I'm telling you what, the presence of the Lord is here. Why? Because we are here not because the presence is in the building, but because we're in the building and we are the carriers of His presence because we are the vessels, the jars of clay that He has poured Himself into. The excellence is not in the jar. The excellence is in the treasure that the jar contains in the very fact that I am a jar of clay containing the very presence of God should give me reason to rejoice, whether we got guitars with all of its strings, or whether we got music, or whether we don't have music. I'm telling you what, we have the Lord of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, dwelling on the inside of us. This is the reason we should come before Him in worship, and our joy should be unspeakable and full of glory because of who He is. John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. We have no joy apart from Him. Read John 15. We have nothing apart from Him. But now that we have become branches, abiding in the vine... Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may remain in you and that your, you see the exchange there, you see the transfer there? His joy becomes my joy and that your joy may be full. If we do not come to know the joy found only in him because of him, We have no true joy in anything. You might experience a lot of things in this world, and they might all be good. There's people today, even in the midst of this horrible economy that we're living in, who don't lack for money, who don't lack for means, who can go out and buy anything they want, have anything they want, go anywhere they want to go, have as much fun as they want to have. And they might think that that is joy. And they might think that is true happiness. And it might be their happiness for now. But I'm going to tell you what. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you can do that, that's fine. But if that's where you're placing your joy, if that's the source of your happiness, the Bible says all of that's going to pass away one day. Why? Because those things are are not the source of of true joy. He is the source of our joy. And if we are not connected to Him, if we're not abiding in Him, then we have no joy. But because we are abiding in Him, He says, my joy, I want my joy to remain in you, and I want my joy to become your joy, and I want your joy to be full. Can we come as the body of Christ together, In the fullness of joy. How about tomorrow morning when your alarm goes off at 5.30 to go to the job that you're thankful you have but you're really not that excited about going to because it has become a weariness and a drudgery and you do sneer at it. Where's the joy then? I mean, is the joy just in this? I mean, if we pump you up with good music and all these things and make you feel real emotionally good, is that joy? That's not joy. might be a fun experience, but it's not joy. See, joy, joy abides with you how long? If he is our joy, and you're in him and he's in you, then that joy abides in you forever. And that joy is to be full. Why? Because He is the fullness. He is the fullness. And in Him there is fullness of joy. Why? Because He is the fullness. We have no true worship without His joy. We really don't. And you see when you go to Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit are all linked together. I'll find no real joy in him if I have no real love for him. But if my love for him is real, why? Because his love for me is real. And as I begin to to understand and comprehend that by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, there is a joy that begins to rise up in me that the circumstances of my life can't rob me of, that the situations... And the things that might come against me for a time and a season can't, can't take away from me. I might not be happy about the things that come against me. Nancy has a broken air conditioner. I'm sure she's not happy about that. Matter of fact, if anybody has an extra window unit, she's looking for one so that they can have a little bit of coolness tonight. So really and truly, if anybody has an extra window unit that she can use until she gets her AC fixed, Would you talk to Nancy and and help her out right there in the bright yellow shirt? So I'm sure Nancy's not happy that her air conditioner's broken. I mean, things break down, right? But her joy's not dependent upon whether she has A.C. or not. That's a lot happier in the middle of Texas summer that you do have A.C. But that's not the source of her joy. She still has a smile on her face. Why? Because she knows where her joy comes from. Do we know the source of our joy? The joy, the joy of true worship. True worship is not true if it's not joyful. Why? Because He's our joy, and our joy comes from Him. He's the object of our worship. We may worship out of obligation, and rightly so, But we must never worship without joy or our worship is not true. We all go through seasons of life. You know, uh, I can come in here and have a really bad day and I might not feel joy. I might not even uh, want to. You know, I might just be flat out and I might go through the motions and worship God anyways. You know, if I do that, God's not going to kick me out. He's not going to throw in the towel concerning me. But here's what he will do. He will work in my life to help me come back to a place where I understand that my joy is not dependent upon my circumstance. Now, sometimes our circumstances are so overwhelming that we, we, you know, yeah, that's real good theory, Pastor Jeff. But the reality is, I ain't feeling the joy right now. Well, that's that's fine. That that may be true, but that doesn't mean the joy's not there. Because if he's there, the joy's there. And what we have to do. And this is what this is the amazing, graceful, merciful work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit knows how to bring us back to a place where we can find our joy in Him again. Because He never left us, He never forsook us. He's always there with us because He's in us and I'm in Him. And the graceful work of the Spirit is to bring me to this place where I begin to understand, as much as I hate my circumstance and I don't feel any joy right now, well, but my circumstance is not the source of my joy. He is. And this is the work of the Spirit. Praise God for the work of the Spirit in our lives. So worship that's void of joy is worthless. It's worthless because it's simply offered out of obligation in the flesh, but not from the heart in the Spirit. Does that mean that we have to be happy every time we worship? No, because happiness happiness and joy are not the same things. Happiness is an emotion. And, and joy can be emotional, but it's not based on emotion. It's based on truth. So don't confuse joy and happiness. You don't have to be happy every time. Again, you might not be happy about your circumstances, but do you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that's not dependent upon our circumstance or even emotion. Does that mean that we should never experience sorrow or mourning? Or fiery trial? No. Why? Because those things are just inherent in this life. They're part of this world. They're part of, uh, of the world we live in, and we will experience those things. But God is to be worshipped, and we are to find true joy in the midst of true worship. John four twenty three and verses 24, Jesus is at the well there in, in, in Samaria. And the, and the woman, the Samaritan woman, comes to the well, and, the, and her and Jesus begin to have this discourse. And Jesus makes this statement to you. Let's turn over there to John chapter 4. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but in light of all the circumstances surrounding this this exchange between Jesus and the woman, this was quite an amazing exchange between Jesus and this woman. Let me just begin reading in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Why? Because He was her salvation sitting right there before her. Jesus the Jew. But the hour is coming and now is when... The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. They that worship. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's not a method, trust me. It's a place. Where is the place that we can worship God from? the only place that we can worship God from. Where is it? In Christ. In Christ is the only place that you can worship the Father from. It has nothing to do with what building you're in. It has nothing to do with what style of music. It has nothing to do with any of that. There is only one place that you can be in spirit and be in truth, and that is in Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the spirit. I'm telling you. The Spirit of God, Christ lives in you now by the Spirit, right? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three in one. They are the persons of the Godhead. Christ lives in you now by the Spirit. And the Spirit of truth that lives in you testifies of who? It testifies of Christ, speaks of Him. It teaches you about Him. It reveals Him to you. This is why He's in you, to reveal Christ to you. To reveal the source of your joy. So in Malachi's day, the people found no joy in worship because they found no joy in God. So their worship became weary obligation instead of fullness of joy. And the consequence of their joyless worship was worthless worship. It had no value to them. It had no value to God. God says, should I receive this? From your hand? And the implied answer is no, I'm not going to. It contained no joy, so it contained no value. Turn to John 15. And we will never know the joy of worship until we know the joy of abiding in Him. To know true worship is to know the salvation that brings us into this worship. So where is the place? Where is the place that we come to be able to worship Him in spirit and truth? It's in Christ, who is our salvation. And to know the salvation that brings us into true worship is to know the God of our salvation. Amen? And to know the God of our salvation is to know the God and the Savior who is the object of our worship. So when you come, as you worship the Lord, whether it's corporately in this building on Sunday, or whether it's personally in your own home, in your own time, in our worship of the Lord, if we don't understand that the object of our worship is, He is our salvation. He is the very one that has brought us into the place where we can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In John 15, I won't read the whole thing, but John 15, 1 through 11, Jesus paints this beautiful picture of our abiding in Christ. And to worship God in spirit and in truth begins with being where? Being in Christ. Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine br- uh, dressed every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. He lifts up. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You've already been pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Do you see what the word does? The word prunes us. Why? What is the point of the pruning? The point of the pruning is to make us fruitful. So God has given us His word to prune, to cut away those things that would rob us of fruitfulness. And Jesus goes on and, and He says, By your fruitfulness, this is how my Father is glorified. In verse 5, He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in Me and I in him bears much fruit, for without Me you can do Nothing. So what is the reason for our joy? The reason for our joy is Him. He is the reason for our joy. All of those things that we look to outwardly, whether they're things in here or things out in the world, those are just things. None of those things, nothing can bring us into the true expression of joy other than the very one who is the object of our worship, the revelation of who He is. The reason our joy is in Him is because He has taken that which was separated by sin and death. Church, that's all of us. We were separated by sin and death. We were separated from God. And God, in His grace and by His power, took that which was separated and joined it to himself and you have been joined to him this is the picture jesus is painting here this is why he says apart from me separated from me you can do nothing he has taken that which was separated by sin and death has joined it to his very life in christ so that what so that you now can abide in him how long forever forever he's joined us to him in his life We are the joy, Hebrews 12.2, it says, Jesus endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for what? For the joy that was set before Him. We were the joy that was set before Him. We were the reason that He endured the suffering and the shame of the cross. We were the joy of His salvation. And now, what has to happen is, by the Spirit of God, He must become the joy of your salvation. He didn't see, he experienced the reality of suffering and shame at the cross, but he looked beyond that to the joy that was set before him. Can we endure the reality of this world and this life with all that it offers, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Not be fooled by the good and not be so discouraged by the bad that we lose hope. Can we look beyond that and see the joy of our salvation, who is Christ? We have to. This is what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. When that happens, then our worship becomes true. And we experience what Peter talked about. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Can you describe in words what Christ has done for you in salvation? Can you put into human words the reality of what He has done? It can't be done. It can't be done. I want to read something to you, and then we're going to close. This is from a a sermon that C.S. Lewis wrote back, I think, in 1942. I think this aired on the BBC uh, during World War II, like June 8, 1942, and during World War II, Lewis would have these radio broadcasts, and this was a sermon that he he wrote called The Weight of Glory, and, and it's just a, the first about the first couple of paragraphs of this sermon that I want to read to you. I got this from John Piper's book, Desiring God. It was in the beginning of this book, and John Piper described this as one of the small pieces of literature that, that had such a profound effect upon his life when he read this, and it, It really is, um, I'll just read it to you, called The Weight of Glory, from Piper's book called Desiring God. And this book is all about us finding our delight in Him and not feeling guilty about finding our delight in Him. But we need to find our delight in Him, right? So here's what Lewis says. If you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply unselfishness. But if you ask almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. And this is of more than philological importance. The negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily, listen to this, of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves. As if our abstinence and not their happiness was the most important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ, and nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of of it is a bad thing. I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half Let us not settle for less, nothing less than His joy. His joy that remains and our joy that is full in Him. Amen. Let's all stand. The joy of worship. I pray that you will encounter it, that you will feel it, that you will know it, that you will experience it. Because you have come to understand, and rightly so, that the source of that joy is not this, it is Him. And His presence is not here because of this. His presence is here because we, His people, are here, assembled together. Father, I ask you today that you would, by your Spirit, reveal truth to us, Lord, the truth of your Scripture, the truth of your Word. Lord Jesus, you gave a command, a commission to all disciples to go into the world, teaching them, making disciples. Lord, I pray that we would come to learn the truth and be set free from the lesser things that rob us of so great a salvation that has been offered By so great a God. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, have a great day. Tonight at 6 o'clock, not I, but Christ next door. We'll see you there.